back to Luke chapter 1. I shared in the first service, I, I always have a bit of this self-consciousness in interrupting the beautiful flow, the give and take of, of scripture and song, of lesson and carol. And so our goal is to simply pause for a moment and reflect a little bit more deeply on uh, what Andrew just uh, read for us beautifully in his native Korean. Before we interact with any of the details of the scene, I have one question for you. Are you in the Christmas spirit yet? Some of you have been chomping at the bit since October to put your tree up and to decorate and to play uh, your Christmas songs. And others of you, you have one week left to get on the bandwagon before Christmas comes. But if I can be honest with you, even in me asking that question, I actually hate that phrase, the Christmas spirit, because what does that even mean? What are we referring to? Are, are, are we simply describing uh, the joy of humming along or singing the lyrics of Christmas songs while you're in the car or making cookies in the kitchen? Are, are we saying that we finally are now excited to pull out that ugly Christmas sweater and show up at that social function and, and uh, compete with everyone else's ugly Christmas sweater? Are, is, is being in the Christmas spirit being ready with all of your shopping and all of your hustle and bustle? and all of your preparations for hosting family. What does that even mean? If there is such a thing as the Christmas spirit, shouldn't it flow out of the entire reason we have for gathering and celebrating as the people of God? Lessons and carols, scripture and song are deliberately chosen to point us back to what God has accomplished in history, which gives us every reason to celebrate this year and to never stop. Whatever your answer is, whatever your reaction is to the question of the Christmas spirit, you and I could really use an encounter with an angel during this Christmas season. That has nothing to do with any fantasy of a genie-like figure showing up in your living room and granting you three wishes. Because the common human reaction is far from that kind of fantasy thought. Whenever an angel appears, almost invariably in Scripture, the common human reaction is not, my, what amazing wings you have. How, how fast can you fly at full throttle? You know, when everything's, all the conditions are, are met. Far from it. The thought has never occurred to a human being surprised with an angelic appearance. The common human reaction to the arrival of a messenger from God is almost always, I am dead. (laughs) Life is about to end any second now. And that fear does not come from being in the presence of um, a powerful creature who might destroy you, although that would be a very logical thought for you to have because biblical angels are not chubby cherubs that you hang on your Christmas tree or, or stick on your mantle. Uh, They don't have precious moments attached to them. Biblical angels are heavenly warriors. They are terrifying creatures. They are heaven sent to deliver a message from God, and they have the power to back up what God has told them to speak. Instead, the I'm dead reaction that is universal among human beings who are so blessed to have this experience of an angel appearing, flows out of 
uh, this reality that when any of us would stand in the presence of holiness, which has its root in the heavenly origin of a messenger from God, we would instantly and pretty deeply understand our sinfulness and our unheavenliness. And that causes fear. That causes dread because we don't know what a holy and just God would do with us through this servant. So here in Luke chapter 1, as in just about every angelical appearance in the Bible, the angel knows that he needs to say these words, do not be afraid. And then he delivers this message straight from the throne room of heaven. Throughout much of church history, this scene has been known as the annunciation, uh, the announcement, as the angel Gabriel announces history-defining news to this young maiden. It's the announcement of all announcements. It's, it's the proclamation to end all proclamations. And the message is simply and yet profoundly this. Sin and death, our ultimate and final enemies, will be dealt a death blow. The spiritual terminal disease will be provided the antidote. The tyranny of Satan, the enslavement of sin will be addressed with rescue and deliverance through the one to be born to this virgin who is to be called Jesus, the Lord saves. An upcoming lesson that we focused on in last Sunday's sermon. If anyone ever had the Christmas spirit, it was Mary in whom the spirit conceived Christmas in the flesh. If you're really in the Christmas spirit, as the Bible would define that phrase, then like Mary, nothing can ever be the same in your life. Everything is different. Nothing is the same. It it means, if you're in the Christmas spirit, biblically defined, it means that you are confronted with truth, something about God and something about yourself. You might be confronted with truth because you've opened the Bible and you've read the Word of God and it's striking you in a, in a fresh and, and unique way. You might have been confronted by truth by listening to and singing along with these rich, biblically saturated lyrics of these ancient hymns. And something of the poetry that reflects the truth of God's Word is doing a work in your life. You may have been confronted by truth because a follower of Jesus who is a friend of yours or a relative has been sharing of the truth of the gospel, has been telling you about the heaven-born, the heaven-sent, earthly-born Son of God named Jesus. But whatever the source of that truth is, if you're really in the Christmas spirit, you've been confronted by truth about something about God and something about yourself, about God the simple truth that He is the holy, sovereign judge and King of all the earth. About yourself, that you have been created in His image, which grants you inherent dignity. You are worth something to the King of the universe, no matter what anyone else would tell you. And yet, even though you've been created to reflect something of His glory, your personal sin and other people's towards you has caused that reflection to be tainted not quite right. Perhaps it's barely legible. You can't make out all the details because sin corrupts, it decays, it brings ugliness. Being in the Christmas spirit 
means knowing, understanding the depth of your sin and being in awe at the reality that God the Father has sent God the Son to live and die in your place to do something about it. Being in the Christmas spirit means you embrace God's plan of salvation and you wait expectantly for His plan to unfold. Like Mary, you may, not, you may say, I don't know how in the world this is going to happen. You know, interestingly, at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, an old man at the temple, is told he's going to have a, his, his elderly wife is going to have a son. He's going to be John the Baptist. And he asks a very similar question. Somehow the angel knows Zechariah's question is, nah, <laughs> no, no, I don't believe you. And he's struck dumb. He goes mute until the child is born. Mary asks a similar question, how will this be? And somehow the angel Gabriel knows that it's different. It's coming out of a, a heart of humility. I don't understand the mechanics of how this is going to happen, the logistics, the, the physical conception. And um, the angel describes the Holy Spirit coming upon her. But at the end of the day, a, a young woman named Mary, perhaps even 13 years old or 15 years old at the time, had to have said, I still don't get it, but your will be done. That's part of being in the Christmas spirit. And that means you can't simply carry on with life. You can't just package Jesus uh, into a neat little box into a corner of your life or, or put him on the shelf named religion that you pull off every Sunday morning when you come to church. And then prayer and song and uh, confession uh, suddenly become uh, uh, aspects of your behavior. If you're in the Christmas spirit, you long to hear the voice of your King, Jesus. You overflow with joy at at the opportunity to, to vocalize these song lyrics, to sing with the people of God, to, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It's a treat. It's not a chore. If you're in the Christmas spirit, you, you strive to obey His will. And when you mess up, you run towards Him in repentance and confession, not away from Him, because you realize yet again how much mercy and grace has been poured out upon you through Jesus. You orient everything in your life around service and sacrifice to the King who has come and laid down His life, and you desire for everything in your life to bring Him maximum glory. Are you in the Christmas spirit, biblically speaking? If not, if, if you'd say, ah, that doesn't characterize my life. If you're in a Christmas spirit that looks very different, the fact of the matter is it has very little to do with the Spirit who conceived Jesus in Mary with the Holy Spirit whose job it is to bring new life to dead souls, to, to dwell in the life of a believer in Jesus and shine a spotlight on Jesus, to always be pushing us, reminding us to make Jesus bigger in our lives, to magnify Him, to show other people. What can you do with only one week to go if you're not in the Christmas spirit as the Bible would describe? What hope is there? for us. It's very simple. You start by taking off your crown, not just laying it down, but throwing it away. Yeah, it's that crown you put on your own head that says, I am in control. Life is about me. 
I dub myself worthy of being the regent to determine what is best for my life, to separate right from wrong, good from bad, happiness from unhappiness, because it actually resembles more of a Burger King crown than a royal symbol that depicts any reality that you could possibly wisely rule over your own life. Get rid of it. And then bow before the manger, which turns into a cross. And bring before the manger humility reflected in Mary's attitude and words when she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, God, you know best. I don't understand all that you're up to, but I don't need to because you're the king and I'm the servant. You're the creator and I'm the creature. You are the holy and wise one and I am the sinful recipient of any mercy you would throw my way, but I trust you to work out everything in my life. I trust you as the potter to shape me as clay with your perfect hands, with your loving wisdom. I yield my life to you. And then... You should pray what we just sung in the words of O little town of Bethlehem. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to me, I pray. Cast out my sin and enter in. Be born in me today. An ancient poet named Angelus Silesius wrote this, Should Christ be born a thousand times anew, despair, O man, unless he's born in you. And what this poet is trying to capture is this sense that you and I could celebrate Christmas every year of our lives for decades with passion and skill and gusto, but it would mean nothing unless the Christ of Christmas is born in you, unless you are born again through faith in this Jesus giving your life to Him. And when you do, that's our prayer. Or if you're an already follower of Christ, but you're saying, that Christmas spirit I don't have, and I need it. When you recalibrate your life to the truth of God's Word, when you submit yourself freshly to the kingship of Jesus, born in a manger, died on a cross, then you'll join with God's people in overflowing and singing, how great our joy, 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 joy. Let's pray. Lord, you are the source of all of our joy. Give us eyes to see that there is no other source. It, it, it masquerades. It pretends. It's a fake substitute. But you, Lord Jesus, King, Savior, you are the real thing. And you are the reason that we have celebration. And you are the source of all joy. We praise you during the season as we await your coming again. Amen.